Give me warp in the factor of five, six, seven, eight. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussing Trek. Today, we, of course, are talking about Star Trek Picard, episode five of season three, Imposters. Like always, I'm your host, Clarence, and I'm joined by my fellow co-host, Slash Trekkies, starting with none other than the Who story to himself. Cal Jones, how you doing, man? You know what? I'm glad to be back. And as always, it's nice to see Larry and Tasha on with us. So glad to be here. And also on today's show, we have returning guest, Tasha Pierce. How are you doing, Tasha? I am doing well. Thank you for having me once again with this very knowledgeable crew. And also returning once again is Larry Irby. How are you doing, man? How's it going? Glad to be here. And last but certainly not least, we have... Jonathan Schwartz. Are you there, Jonathan? I am here, sir. I am fresh off of a warp 9.9 trip from the Delta Quadrant, (laughs) and I came sliding into Starbase 001 with my hair in a frazzle, but I made it. (laughs) I see we have a great panel of guests, and I am very interested to see the, well, hear the opinions of this episode. Yeah, man, sliding in at warp 9.9 could be very dangerous. So I hope you uh, prepared yourself, safety protocols in check, you know, all that good stuff. Well, luckily, inertial dampeners did not fail me. Oh, this time they did. This time they did. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We're going to get right to the point and get into our review of Star Trek Picard Imposters, which was written by Cindy Appel and Chris Derrick and was directed by Dan Liu. Caught by Starfleet and facing court-martial, paranoia grows as Picard struggles to uncover whether a prodigal crewman from his past has returned as an ally or an enemy hellbent on destroying them all. Alrighty, so for everyone listening, if you have not seen Imposters, put us on pause, go out, watch the episode, come back, because from this moment forward, spoilers. Spoilers. Red alert. All hands stand to battle stations. What gives you the right? You cannot destroy an idea. At ease before you spray something. The spoiler warning has been dropped and we are back to review this episode. Like always, we go right back to Mr. Jones for the beats of the episode. Sometimes serious, sometimes comedic. Honestly, you never know. Cal, do you have any beats for us today? I do indeed. And it's going to be short and sweet. Let's hear it. It's a secret invasion. <laughs> of the body snatchers <laughs> for you marvel fans out there you'll know what i mean but there you go it's a secret invasion very apt there sir yeah let's go around the horn and just get everybody's high level opinions of this episode larry let's start with you man what did you think of imposters uh i have to say this episode was awesome amazing just loved it just loved it i'm Still got my one pet peeve. We'll get to that later, though. <laughs> but I was, uh, of course, I was thrilled to see Michelle Forbes as Rolaren. And uh, as I think I told you, Clarence, I had the fortune to meet that that lady many years ago at a convention in North Carolina. And she is like just literally one of the nicest people. Mm. I mean, literally, no, not Hollywood at all. But I did love that character, and I'm just happy. I was just like, overall, I, I'm just actually I'm finished watching it again. Actually, right now. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, Tasha. High level thoughts. A- another banger. This was another banger. We'll get to ratings and the, and the such a little later, but this was a stellar episode of Trek. In your reviews, you always talk about not giving the five, and we're not going to get ratings just yet. But are we? Itching closer, and I already know your rating from that review, of yeah, course. I know but, you know. <laughs> but but we're itching closer to the end of the season. Is there room for a five yet and still for the rest of the season for you? Now that we don't have to visit Matala's Prime, probably, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> Cal Jones, thoughts. You know, I don't know if I have anything to add. I mean, the other two guests have said it almost, if not perfectly, but I will just say the hour went by like that. It was gone before, you know, I even realized I had sat down and that right there to me is good TV. Indeed. 
Mr. Shorts. Well, I agree with everybody else and especially Cal. And you guys know I say this more often than not. It's always great for me to sit down and watch something and be upset at the end because it's kind of like you're you're watching a movie almost. And then you're like, oh, wait, this was just an episode. I have to wait for the conclusion. And that always tells me that I thoroughly enjoyed what I watched. So, yes, I agree with all of you guys. I'm interested in Larry's pet peeve. I cannot honestly think of anything that bothered me in this episode. But usually when I talk to you guys, things creep up and then my mind starts to change. So we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, And I'll just add another great episode from this season. We talk about how long these episodes feel and juicy. Of course, I wanted to continue, but they give us so much in this hour that I'm just full and I can, I can wait till next week. And I just can't wait till when the season is over and just going back and watching all these back to back. It's going to flow pretty beautifully. But yeah, this one is just another great episode with callbacks to Trek's past. Some very heartfelt things <laughs> in this episode, of course. I feel like it's the episode about healing old wounds and we get a good dose of that. And yeah, I love it. I, I too, Tasha, am glad we may not be going to Matala's Prime anymore. <laughs> I don't love Matala's Prime. I'm sorry. We've been there so much. But let's go ahead and try to get into some details of this episode. And let's just start with what I consider the the B plot or maybe the the less interesting part of this episode. And that's Raphael and Worf. Let's get thoughts on this plot line. We start off with them sparring and Worf goes into this <laughs> catatonic state. <laughs> but I think there's this foreshadowing for what he does later. But thoughts on the Worf Matalas Prime storyline. Is it sticking with us anymore at this point? And I'm going to start with you, Tasha, because you don't want to call it out first. Does anything in this storyline endure to you for this episode? Well, it was a means to an end. We got what we came there for. It was just how long it took to get it. And and that to me is the issue every time we go to Matala's Prime. Uh, we spent an awful lot of time standing in the middle of the street. While we all standing in the middle of the street, there are things happening on the Titan that I'm really interested in. So yeah. uh, that to me, we got what we came there for, but look, what do we have to endure to get it? So my thought is that reminded me of the last episode or of Game of Thrones where there is a character that's walking through the street for a good 30 seconds to a minute. And I'm thinking, why are we watching this? Because this is the last episode and there's more things I want to see. So I'm right there with you on that. But that being said, I think that maybe was needed so that I could get the goosebumps effect of characters at the end being face-to-face -face on screen. I think that kind of made me understand who the handler was, who all of that was. It all kind of gelled together there at the end. Cran is Snee's street brother, so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> Thoughts on this Vulcan who had a different sort of logic, but it kind of made sense to me. What did you think of Cran? Number one, I love that actor. The guy's mm. amazing. Also, uh, shout out to Lance Reddick, mm -hmm. who had passed away this mm, week. Yeah. yeah. I remember Love he that actor. on, yeah, from The Wire, from Oz, from everything. And weren't they both on Fringe? They were both on Fringe, and they were both on Oz, too, uh, those two actors. I love seeing a Vulcan out of character. I love seeing a Vulcan do something. Like, I loved when Tuvok came on and he wasn't a science officer. <laughs> he was a security officer. So I love when we get to see Vulcans not be what we think of all Vulcans to be because they're individuals. So I know some people are taken a little back, but I said, yes, I love this. Scene. And I said, please don't make him a Romulan because it's going to be cliche <laughs> if he's Romulan. And yeah. they didn't. They said, hey, he's Vulcan. He's a, he's a thug. A Vulcan. Thug life. <laughs> Good deal. <laughs> I like it. You know, I'm here for it. <laughs> so so they, they, they go there to get information on how to get into Daystrom. They want to know how 
Sneed was able to get into Daystrom, so they come back and they meet up with Kran. Daystrom is protected by some super AI, and they come to get a device to be able to get in there. Any thoughts on where that's leading? Where it's leading? Your guess is good as mine, sir. I don't know where they're going with that. I mean, of course, any nowadays, anytime you mention AI, you say, I wonder if controlling that somewhere. So I, I know time is kind of weird and may not exactly line up, but I mean, that's a possibility. My top prime, I, I like it, but I'm in agreement with Sasha. I think we spent too much time there for the amount of story we had. And I don't feel like we got enough of that story to move it forward like I want it. But as Cal said, we did get to see that facial meetup of the people we were looking for. So that was a great part about it. As far as this AI getting into it, like it's hard for me to believe that there's a chip (laughs) (laughs) that they can use to break into this institute that's run by Starfleet. I mean, does that is that not like I I just like all it's almost burnish, you know, like (laughs) Tasha shaking her head. I think they can make it work, John. (laughs) I mean, I think they can make it work, but I expected a more like we went to this Vulcan that's supposed to be a master at getting into places. And I kind of thought this was going to be like a one of those. We're going to forge a relationship, friend, foe, forge together to make put on this great big heist. And maybe that's still what we'll get. But it was like a a computer chip. I mean, didn't it really look just like a bigger SD card, though? Yeah. So shall I spill my idea or should we just wait for my video to come out? Well, it's it's up to you. You know what? I'm going to spill it here because I don't even know if this video coming out. Let's hear it. Okay, A sophisticated AI at Daystrom to me sounds an awful lot like lore. Mm. The key that you would need to get around lore sounds an awful lot like Moriarty. So mm. this chip might have Moriarty's program on it. And that is what they're going to use to to get around a, a good good guy lore. <laughs> <laughs> is there a such thing? We have seen him in the in the Starfleet uniform on some of the um, press picks for this year. So Well, I've seen him in a Starfleet uniform in TNG. <laughs> well, we, know, <laughs> we know that. Yeah, that's true. But Tasha be diving deep. And I'm thinking I, and I'm going. Yeah, that makes sense to me. <laughs> it does. And we're still waiting on the Moriarty uh, reveal. So And and the why the Moriarty. So that kind of yeah. adds the why. Or Tasha, it could be in reverse. It's Moriarty that is the sophisticated AI. And, and I've even pondered that. That's why I'm, I'm stuck with this video, because I'm like, which way do I want to really go with this? Because, I mean, when we had the Moriarty problem on the Enterprise, it was... You know, they kind of relied on data to kind of help figure it out, even though data struggled with that as well. But I mean, you're talking about the most sophisticated program outside of Moriarty would have been data. Well, we don't have a data, but hey, there's a lore out there somewhere. Mm. I find that more interesting, honestly. The, with Moriarty being the guard? Mm-hmm. And then they have to go and quote unquote recruit lore to help them. I mean, I think that's more interesting character dynamics than lore just actually, ooh, now I'm a part of Starfleet. Look at me. <laughs> you know. Character growth, man. One quick thing before we pivot. I hated the fake death. It 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 just didn't work for me at all. I'm like, no wharf isn't dead this easily. I wasn't fooled. <laughs> Of course he came back. Oh, they mentioned mobile emitter in that scene too, which I thought was pretty cool. I, I guess they're just floating around everywhere now. I mean, <laughs> come on, Future Tech. You can't just be having that laying around everywhere. But then it was on the La Serena. That's where she got it from, right? Oh, mm. yeah, you're right. You're That's right. pretty cool. I want a Rios hollow. That's what I want. That'd be cool. <laughs> you know, the artificial death didn't bother me quite as much. And I'm I'm glad because if they, if like, in my head, I was like, okay, he's faking it, right? And we all know he's faking it. And then the, my quick thought was like, really? Like, <laughs> we've done this a thousand times in a thousand different media outlets. But at the same time, like, if he wasn't faking it, you mean to tell me you give us Worf and kill him off in like the fourth episode? You would instantly make Rafi the most hated character in Star Trek right. history. <laughs> but what I do appreciate is it wasn't. I do appreciate that she did actually stab him. 
he was actually mortally wounded. Uh, just the power of clean on and his newfound meditative state. <laughs> <laughs> he can with he can kind of, you know, hold up to it. So I'm glad that they went that at least that far. Not like, oh, this was another hollow they didn't detect or she stabbed him with a fake knife or, you know what I mean? It wasn't that basic. So I do appreciate that. So, Larry, we opened the episode with Jack going ham. Talk about this scene for me, man. Jack is still having these visions. Or we come to find out it's, an, it's a vision. But, man, a dark future ahead for Jack? Who knows? I'm telling you, Jack went all John Wick this week. <laughs> Space Wick. Space Wick. <laughs> I, I am not kidding, man. That scene where he took off those those four changelings, which I got to say, with what we know of the changelings before, there's no way you could take four of them out that easy. But I'm going to roll with it because it looks so good the way he did it and the way they choreographed that. I went, I let it slide. Well, in his defense, he was pretty fast. And the fact that these four changelings were under the assumption that he didn't realize they were changelings. So I think if they would have expected him to react, I think he couldn't have done it. Mm. But the fact that they were under assumption that he thinks we're just Starfleet personnel, they were like, okay, but it, it, okay. So this is kind of a side note, but I just want to throw this out here. Maybe you guys agree or disagree that particular, I guess you want to call it fight scene. I enjoy it better than the wharf and, and Rafi. Yes. That was so much better, better choreographed. I'll say that. So I have a theory. I don't know which of the three this might be. Either someone has done something to him, he has had something done to himself, or if his mother has done something to him or given him something. But I think this vine that he's seeing or these visions that he's seeing, somehow he has the power to see the changeling. Like, I think that's how he knew all those four people were changeling. I think it was some kind of instinct or some kind of ability that he's had or something that's happening to him that's external that is giving him this ability. Because if they are as easily to be able to infiltrate as they are now, there has to be a door, no pun intended, that we can go through as a character to be able to see what they are. I like that premise. Like he yes. might be the key into actually weeding them out. Uh, I, I like that premise and I actually got this from the captions. I've been calling them red vines, but then the captions, they call them tendrils. Yeah. I don't know what the distinction is, but <laughs> we'll go with it. And I learned from the captions that that's Beverly's voice. I didn't put that together. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. So let me you know, get you guys' thoughts. Well, let me just spout out a few things that those voices say. Jack, find me. Jack, come home. Hear me. Connect us. In Beverly's voice. Like, what, what is going on here? <laughs> and doesn't that sound a lot like the female changeling on DS9 talking to Odo? Mm. Come home. Reconnect. And of course, in the opening scene, we have uh, Lieutenant Esmer, if I'm, if I'm saying her name right, saying, I know what you really are. And even when he gets to the transporter room, he kind of has another, he spazzes out again. Well, first and foremost, I have a strong affinity for closed quarter, hand-to-hand -hand combat. And that corridor scene was everything. But outside of that, the, the red vines, I'm tendrils. <laughs> I'm, I'm wondering if um, that is a hearkening back to a, another DS9 episode, but we still, I'm still ruminating on that. Mm. As far as what Kyle said, I agree. And I I think that we will find that he has, uh, Jack, has been genetically manipulated in some way, shape, or form. And I believe it's through his mom, unintentionally. But I, I believe it's through his mother. But as far as everything else with Jack, you know, Jack needs answers. I want answers for Jack. So I hope that we get to that next week with this episode and don't let's not drag it out too much longer oh one 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 thing i want to add to that what if the beverly we have seen throughout this series so far is not beverly 
That's and what I'm thinking. We don't the, know. Yeah. The, who he's hearing, she's somewhere in the changeling continuum, I'll call it. And that's her reaching out to him. And she may be somehow giving him that ability because she is there. And, and I'm thinking she's been the main one saying, trust no one. And how do we know that we can trust her? Right. But isn't that what you get when you throw a changeling in the mix? Like you said them. that last week, John, and I was nodding my head the whole time. <laughs> like this is everybody is potentially the bad person. For a moment in this episode, like was Picard Picard? <laughs> it was you know? Picard. I mean, yeah, it was. But it, there was a few moments where I was like, "Eh, they could have replaced him by now." Was it that bar scene when he pulled the glasses out? He had that creepy little smile on his face. <laughs> right. Well, and the fact that he turned the holodeck safeties off. So, you know, originally I'm thinking, you know, it's because he's going to shoot her. But then I'm thinking, well, maybe he's going to kill her, but maybe he's the changeling. Mm. Well, well, I know who's not the changeling, Larry. I'm curious. What do you think? Well, 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 well real quick, Larry, let me also add this. I want to also get your opinion on the inevitability of Jack getting a Starfleet uniform after he's had this vision of shooting a bunch of people in a Starfleet uniform, but go, but go ahead. <laughs> I like I I actually like that. I like the cold opening. I mean, although they did the same thing with book, but that's a whole other thing. <laughs> Putting them in the uniform to hide them from people. Oh, they did. You're right. It's like now they're looking for like yeah, that's him. He's in a uniform. <laughs> Get him. <laughs> And you wonder how Laura got a uniform. She just handed him one in a duffel bag. But, uh, you know, they say you got to, you know, suspend disbelief. But you know what I was thinking when you guys just said that? I was thinking, we know there are two factions, right? How do we know there aren't good changing like Odo's changelings there, too, who are after those? Yeah. And how do we know these changelings aren't somehow mutated in some way, like, if like say if Beverly was a changeling, I don't think she. But what if she was? They might not know. They're like, okay, mm. since when can we do that? Just think about mm. the fact that now that you brought that up, when they beamed onto the Titan the first time, I went back and I watched it again because before we knew that the transporter wasn't going to be able to tech to detect them, I looked at them beam on to see if there was anything different between Picard, Riker, and and Jack. But the one person we never saw beam on was Beverly. We didn't get us a chance to see if her if there would be a difference in her transport. So out of the four of them, she is the one who could be a changeling because we never saw her rematerialize on the transporter path. And the two that came with Roe, they came on a shuttle. Well, they did beam back and forth at the end. And I don't think we really saw any difference in their beam. But the transporter should have detected them. Which we do find from Seven, they, as, as Tasha mentioned, they do have these detectors in place that they run all the crewmen through to see if they're a changeling. Pretty cool, because it was a just a tricorder back in the DS9 days, right? So pretty, pretty cool that we got that. Crusher actually dissects the changeling that they killed in the previous episode. And we, we get all kind of tidbits out of this. They are able now to replicate or... or copy organs as well. Hence, they can't be detected by the transporters and they can even replicate blood. Pretty scary. Because <laughs> at this point now, we don't have a real way to even know if it's a changeling, right? Not unless you dissect it small enough. Right. Or if it changes in front of you. Those are the only two ways that you're going to be able to detect it at this point. Hence my secret invasion comment. <laughs> right. The scrolls have come to you know. <laughs> and I think, Tasha, you mentioned two factions, and I'm kind of leaning that way because, you know, at the end of DS9, Odo goes back to the Great Link. I don't think the original founders were necessarily evil. They just wanted to be left alone, and they figured out the best way for, to be left alone is to dominate the universe, which, okay, and in itself is evil. I get it. But they weren't really out to kill and to harm. They just wanted to be left alone. I think with Odo going back to the Great Link, I would assume he changes their minds. But just as we had the two factions of Jem'Hadar, so we ended up with the Alphas after a while. Yep. And that was because the Gammas were no longer effective in Alpha Quadrant. 
Well, let's not assume. I mean, maybe the alphas, because we know they were quite rebellious. Maybe they got a sample of changeling DNA because we know they were playing with the founder's DNA trying to solve the sickness. So somebody has a sample and they just created a new version. I could see that happening, which would then lead to the great changeling war. <laughs> and we get Odo back. <laughs> you got a whole spin off. Yeah. <laughs> This reminds me a lot of um, just throwing another series in there at Battlestar Galactica, mm. where you, the human, the Cylons evolved. Yes, it and did. When they come on, now you can't tell them from a regular right. human because they are essentially organic machines. Yep. So I like the way they're going with this story. Uh, just really, really strong writing. So, can, you know, if all the people don't create some new enemy, you got enough old enemies to bring back. Oh, yeah. And I mean, when I heard they were bringing back the changelings, I was like, yes. Fracking Cylons. <laughs> Tasha, I was talking to you a little bit earlier about that scene when I think they go toward Jack Jack's quarters and they turn around and come out. But you hear this little chittering. We hear that chittering sound again. That's not a changeling thing. It never was. So it's like, why do they have this language all of a sudden? Again, it's just another thing that sets them apart from the changelings that we knew in DS9. But it also makes me wonder, okay, we, we go back to Vatic's ship, those things that hang out with her, <laughs> they use the same chitter box language. And, and why do they have this language? Why do those changelings wear hoods and masks? There, there are a lot of questions just loaded within them communicating in that way. So let's go ahead and get into Picard, Riker, and Seven facing the music. Titan links up with the Intrepid. And boy, uh, Shaw is just loving it. <laughs> uh, although he does give them a little bit of admiration, I would say. But he, but he's happy about it, you know. A little, a little tepid praise for him, you know. And they have to face the music. Picard says, put it all on me. I'll take the brunt of it. Of course, we just mentioned they send the shuttle over and then we meet up with a character, a prodigal crewman, some might say, from Trek's past. And wow, Tasha, boy, did you call this one? Oh, yeah, I, I, I felt a little bit good about it. I, I, I didn't glow the way I should have. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, I, I was I was happy to see. Do you, do you want to make the big announcement? I don't want to, you know, I don't want to make the big announcement oh, on your show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, C Commander now, Rolaren is back. I need to go back and watch the Rolaren episodes. Like, I'm interested in what happened after TNG and now is, is what I'm interested in. Because there's a story there that sounds very juicy. And maybe it's in some books that I hadn't read, but I'm interested in that. I'm very interested in that. The tie-ins for this have been excellent. And I see they've kind of backed off one thing because in the book, Worf was um, captain of the Enterprise uh, E after Picard left. And he went off with Jordy. That's why I said when you see in the clip where Jordy's pissed, believe me, he has a right to be <laughs> like just like Raffi was with Picard. Same kind of deal. Mm. But I think they're backing off a little they're not doing it exactly like the books or stuff, because like we said, that's B canon. So that's not always going to make it in. But I really feel that like uh, the whole thing around Picard, you know, and he's like, you know, I'll I'll take the run of it. And it's like, what is your fault, John Luke? I, mean, what you about? <laughs> you know, I love it. It's like, it's, I'll think, yeah, you guys. Everything Shaw is a jerk, but my guy, everything he said, it's true. You guys came aboard my ship. You lied. <laughs> you didn't end up figuring all this out. And it's, it's almost like, um, which which one? Um, the Voyage Home. How mm. you know they would have all got court-martialed if they hadn't saved the entire planet. <laughs> so Picard and them are not going to be in that much trouble because they were right. There is a conspiracy. But, you know, I did find it very interesting and it really made me think when Shaw and I don't remember the exact wording, but, you know, he named all of these great dangers to the quadrant and it was caused by, yes, you saved us from it. But what but if you, you weren't there? It. Right. What if you weren't there? We may not have had these issues to start with. 
And, you know, I expected Picard and Riker to kind of look, e- look at each other and kind of think, yeah. But, you know, they look at each other like, it was good times. Those were the days. <laughs> I will say I am calling BS on one thing. To me, the whole thing about the um, in the Devron system and all good things, no normal Starfleet captain would just know. I'm sure that is ultra classified. <laughs> like, yeah, you got started, blah, blah. I, nah, man, you would not know that. No. <laughs> Starfleet would not tell anybody that. Yeah. Well, it's sort of like the same, in a sense, it's the same thing we get on Lower Decks where they keep referencing Trek's past. I'm like, well, is this like common knowledge now? Everybody knows it. Mm. Okay, so I'm going to explain why that why, why that has can, can be true. The one thing that makes me believe that he could have gone and maybe researched all of this is he's got some haterade for Picard. And mm. if you really have an emotional investment of like or dislike into someone, maybe he was somehow plotting, let me just find where you've screwed up some things other than the Locutus of Borg thing. Yeah. No, but let me think. Like, if I laid down right now and took a nap and had a dream, and I dreamed that I was the Queen of England, and then when I wake up and, and, and my son writes my biography, is he going to know about that imaginary <laughs> dream that I had? Because everything that happened and all the things was imaginary. Yeah. It, it didn't happen. <laughs> so, to me, that's why that, that scene didn't work for me either. I didn't like that. In addition to, to Shaw's hate of Picard... We have to really get into Picard being just utterly furious, furious at Roe. Tasha, is that justified? Did she portray Starfleet? Yeah, she did. However, uh, she was put in a position to do so by Picard. Uh, in his zeal to, to form her into the officer that he knew she could be, he pushed her in situations that she was not ready for. He he had he saw something in her. He he held her in high esteem and he pushed her through that advanced tactical training and all of these things that he pushed her through. And then you put her in a position where um, we're going to make you go undercover to infiltrate the Maquis when they are fighting the very people who killed and who uh, oppressed her people for decades, for, for what, 50 years. Yeah. So that is that's an impossible position to place someone in and expect for them to perform the way you want them to perform. So she did betray Starfleet and she betrayed Picard, but he put her in that position. I think if you boil it all down and strip everything away, the issue for Picard that he's been holding, he's not been holding the fact that she betrayed Starfleet as much as he must might love his beloved Starfleet boil it all away, strip it all back. She betrayed him. And was there not some undertones of maybe a possible romantic interest? Did you get that? Uh, I always got like it was uh, like he looked at her like a daughter. Well, that's how I remember it on TNG. But like this uh, holodeck scene on this episode, it was more than that. Like that, that heartbreak that they referred to was almost more of a romantic uh, and maybe yeah. not something that they explored at any time. But now that they're realizing, you know, at first it was, you broke my heart. I counted on you. You let me down. But now facing it is like, well, maybe. No, I don't. I, I disagree. I disagree. I'm not saying that's, 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 that's borderline creepy to me. It <laughs> may be borderline creepy, but that's. No, um, I got the same thing that um, Jonathan got. So, Jonathan, I'm right there with you. Now, there were scene where there was a scene that almost looked intimate in a preemptive strike. Yep, the episode in which she betrayed him. But when I look at the full episode where the guy Santos was her mentor, was was the person that she kind of clumped onto and admired in the Maquis, she was looking for a father figure. Yeah. Her father was killed in front of her by the Cardassians, and yep. she she felt a kind of way about that. That was explained in earlier episodes. But in, in this particular episode, it feels like she did what Picard wanted her to do because he was the father figure. But then she got with this guy in the Maquis, and he's fighting for her people. 
And now he's the father figure and she watches him be killed by the Cardassians. So yeah. it's to me, she, she was looking for a father figure and Santos was one who fit her, not trying to make her fit him. I will say this um, when it comes to that whole scene, I'll drop one thing too. Cause we all love Sean uh, Farrick. I watched their video on uh, 10 things you don't know about Ro Laren. And there was one thing on there that they mentioned that she said there was a lieutenant commander that had uh, taught her and had groomed her at Starfleet that left to join the Maquis. That was Chicote. Mm-hmm. He never got the word on it. it was, there was even a script to be written about it where she was to come in and show um, her before the events of Voyager, like really? a backflash, but turned out to not happen. But um I really, uh, yeah, I totally thought it was like a father-daughter thing. Even then, it's just like the disappointment. You broke my heart. You know, I, I had such high hopes for you, and you just dashed, you know, my heart. Yeah. But I agree with Tasha 100%. Starfleet was in the wrong to roll over to the Cardassians and leave all those people at the mercy of the Cardassians rather than fight for what was right. And then look what happened later on. I mean, Picard already called him running weapons, right? Hmm. When they had the shield and he said, we are watching. And what did Starfleet do about it? Nothing. So to me, I think the the Maquis, I've always sympathized with the Maquis more because to me, they did what they had to do. Yeah, they were trying to survive out there. Uh, and just this line here, I want to want to say real quick. Uh, uh, Picard says, why did you join the enemy? Why did you portray your honor? To which Rose says, blind faith in any institution does not make one honorable. Woo, hidden heart. Powerful. <laughs> it's true. And Picard left him himself. That's what I'm saying. How are you going to be mad at this young lady for walking away? You walked away from Starfleet because of... Um, you're on again something they didn't do that yeah. they should have done yeah and you can't blame Rolaren because i mean that's just natural of bajorans they've gone through so long of an occupation of a superior force that came in with the guise of helping and then the federation comes in and wants to help but it's still the federation through ds9 was it took a long time, and I don't really know if the Bajorans ever just truly accepted it, but they kind of looked at the Federation as you're imposing over us. And really what they all wanted to do is just live as Bajorans freely, and they never had that chance. So I would assume, and I mean, just take, I mean, take Rolaren out and put Kira Norris there. It would be the same exact thing, right? Like it's just Bajorans have a problem with answering to anything other than the prophets. Well, I'm going to let Tasha speak on that real quick because she has a good tidbit. A lot of people might not know. Um, Might not be my trait trivia. Well, let's hear it, Tasha. (laughs) Initially, the keys to the DS9 kingdom were going to be handed to Michelle Forbes. This was supposed to be her spinoff show, and she was supposed to be the central figure. So she turned that down, and that's how we got Kira Norris. And uh, I think... Things turned out fine, but just imagine how different they would have been had that show been centered around um, yep. Rolaren. And that's kind of my point. And thanks for ruining my trick trivia, but I got a backup. <laughs> <laughs> I got a backup. No worries. But I mean, that's kind of my point. Like you said, think about how much the show would have been different. I honestly don't think it would have been a big difference other than just a different looking actor. But I can see Rolaren playing the same exact role that Kira Norris is playing. Same exact reactions to everything. Same problem with authority. Same overly aggressive. I just see that same role going either way. But I see it like Cisco would not have been the central figure in that show. Yeah, maybe. That maybe show so, yeah. would have been centered around Rolaren. So now you might end up changing who who is the emissary of the prophets? A lot could have changed, especially since we know that Ro wasn't religious. She right. wore a earring in the wrong ear for a reason. Right. So to get there, to be in that position, and maybe she is the person that the prophets choose because she turned her 
it would have been back to this prodigal situation again. She yeah. turned her back on the prophets and they would have called her back to to the religion. But that's just a bunch of hypothetical. I'm glad she turned it down because I'd have, oh, I can't be sad I'd be upset. <laughs> we, we wouldn't have had Cisco. <laughs> we wouldn't have had Cisco. And what a great moment for, you know, we have changelings infiltrating. They're at the highest ranks of Starfleet. And just this moment, this 30-year-old moment, <laughs> brewing moment between these two characters was enough for us to say, okay, that's really Picard. That's really Roe. Because the pain was so deep. <laughs> it was so oh. deep you couldn't help but to know they were who they were saying they were. Roe, of course, made the ultimate sacrifice, not before giving Picard her, her earring that she was not wearing, of course. But I did not expect them to go where they went with Roe as far as killing her after bringing her back after all this time. Cal, was that a bit too much for them to, you know, let Roe make the ultimate sacrifice there? If I've learned one thing in my viewing history is if you don't see a body and sometimes even if you do, there's always a back door. Mm. I'm, mm. I'm about the same age as you, Kyle. And I said that in my video. I was like, we ain't seen nobody, though. <laughs> yeah, thank you. <laughs> Nobody, no death. I would love to see her on screen again. Yes. Uh, so that's all. I'm not sure we all agree on that. But was it a shock to see her go? Yes, it was. Was it great for the story? I mean, did it add that shock and suspense? Yes. It may be a good thing if she really is gone to be gone. Because again, we're if she stays, we have to get into a little bit more of her story. And we do not, I say it this last time, Tom, we do not want to get into the last season of Picard where we're going 40 different ways with his storyline. We need to stay on track with where we're going. And we cannot add another element of Roe and what happened and her relationship. We're already dealing with Picard and his son's relationship, Picard and Beverly's relationship, Picard and Shaw. And then we're going to add in Worf and Jordy. And like, we don't have enough space to put that storyline in. Would we love to see her? Absolutely. But I think it's a good thing that's the way it worked out. Hopefully it stays that way. But He's singing the same song I was singing just yesterday. Jonathan, you and I think alike. Great minds, great minds. You know what was very weird? And I didn't know it until all these years later. When I was at that convention and Michelle Forbes was there, Cole Meany was there, and John Delancey was there. It was kind of the kickoff for DS9. It hadn't come out yet. Mm. And it's so weird that I would learn years and years later that she was actually supposed to be on that mm. show. Well, let's also talk about that, though. She... The reason why she turned that show down is because it was a that long commitment. And yeah. also she didn't want to commit to the fan events. So you saw her at a fan event and that's probably like, yay, but she didn't really want to do them fan events. <laughs> right. And that's what made her say, this might be too much for me. So I think, I think we, we got the best that we could out of the Michelle Forbes role and character. I'm glad that we got Kira Norice uh, out of her turning it down. And I'm also glad that in this season of Picard, we wrapped her story up. Um, even though I say there was nobody, I think her story is wrapped up because she's, or she probably still doesn't want to do big fan conventions. And to come back in the fold proper, she would probably have to do them. The weird thing, too, is a lot of people I see online are going, ah, they brought her back just to kill her. They said <laughs> the same thing with Hugh. I didn't like Hugh's death just because... I needed more yes. from Hugh. But these characters been, and Egypt, these characters been sitting on the shelf, some of them for 30 years. I mean, you might as well do something with them. I'm not saying just kill them all <laughs> off. But I'm Come saying, on. I I love, I thought the ending, if you got to go out, I thought Roe went out like a boss. Yes. Yeah, I agree. So at the end of the episode, you know, we get uh, Beverly talking with Jack to, and she mentions that he may have had these visions or something similar as a child. So just any closing thoughts about the episode? Do we have any predictions about Jack going forward or any other additional thoughts before we kind of wrap up this review? I, I, I'm going to hold that there's something going on with him. Like I said earlier, I don't know what it is, but I hope 
that we see him beyond Picard as a series. That's 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 I like the actor. I think he's doing a great job and I'm intrigued. Well, this was my pet peeve. I was going to tell Jonathan, there was nothing in the show. I still need some LaForge. <laughs> I, still, I mean, I'm being seriously here. Do not bring LeVar Burton in here just for a little drop in two episodes here. Bring him in here and give him some screen time, you know. Don't do him like y'all did him before, you know. But, okay, that aside, what's going on? With, yeah, I have no idea. And I like it. I like it. I like that we can't, you know, if we can't figure it out, it's pretty good. <laughs> uh, I hear you, Larry. Give me some LaForge, man. Give me some LaForge. That's all we're missing here. Hopefully it's not a spot thing where we wait almost a season in before we get a spot. How long do we wait before they reveal spot on Discovery? Oh, yeah. Well, I think it was early on, but they ca- kind of made a big deal in the first episode about finding them. But we, it was like halfway through the season. It wasn't that long. I, I'm re- I'm ready to see LaForge. Now, did it affect this episode any for me? No, not really. I love this episode. I agree with Larry. Like, I like that we can't figure out what's going on with Jack. They're not giving us not one hint mm. other than the find me, reconnect, come home thing. And yeah. man, you watch enough trick that goes a thousand different ways. So I love that. I love this kind of violent street that, and you know, I got a half a thought is, man, what if he could actually control that and use it for good? You know, like that's, so I'm all for it, man. I, I'm ready to, I think I'm almost ready for us to kind of find an answer for these changelings. Because the one thing that may get old for me is not trusting everybody. Mm. I need some kind of way. Maybe they come up with some kind of device that they can attach to the primary character. So we just always know that we can at least know that they're who they are. And we can just kind of keep the mystery to everybody else. But at this point, like two or three times through this episode, I thought Shaw may be on a changeling. All right. So that's a good mystery to have. But, you know, I, I, I hopefully they kind of bring that in a little tighter. You know, the the mystery of what's going on with Jack is going to continue to abound. Everybody who is looking for Jordy, he will be there in episode six. We know that for certain. So we've seen the publicity steals. So he's, he's there. So that's one thing off of the table. To me, the big mystery remains with what's going on with Jack and how does, how is it affected? By how do the changelings affect that? And I hope we get an, I hope we get closer to an answer in episode six. All right, let's get ratings. This is going to be a four point nine for me. Uh, really, not many complaints. I'm glad we're never going to Matala's Prime again. But but other than that, four point nine for me. Oh, real quick, since I am going to have to beam away, my rating is going to be four point eighty five out of five. Larry, four point nine. Four point nine for you. All right. Yep, loved it. Awesome sauce. Tasha, how would you rate this one? 4.9. Jonathan, what do you think, man? Y'all killing me. Like, I want to say five. I don't, I can't really come up with the reason why not. You all got, you guys all went four nine. You make me feel like I'm just liking everything. And I'm sure I'm going to see an episode I love better. But I got to stick with my five, man. It's it, Go with five, man. Hey, I can't find yourself. a problem. I enjoyed all it. All subjective. I enjoyed it. Got about a 4.9 average for the show. That's good. Indeed. Indeed. Well, first of all, if you're listening, you can join us live at 8 p.m. on Mondays where we do these reviews over YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, pretty much everywhere. You can join us there. If you have feedback for this episode, please drop it in the comments below or you can reach out to us at Discussing Trek on any all social medias or fans at DiscussingTrek.com. You can also use those outlets to respond to Trek Trivia. John, what do you have for us today? All right. So since Tasha stole my original Trek Trivia, that was going to be really good, but it was still great information. So good job, Tasha, for finding that out. I did have another question that I put on the back burner when I came up with that one. So this is what it is. You know, we mentioned we have an issues with trusting people. Who's a changeling? Who's not? They discussed that they have a detection system on board. Uh, They discussed that, you know, you ask small, personal, insignificant details and find out 
But there was another system that was shown on screen to detect changelings. Do you know what that was? In this episode of Trek's Pass? In Trek's Pass. Clarence, you said Tricorder, and that was true. And then we had the whole bloodletting thing we did for a while. So, But there's another way. I don't know. Tasha, by all means. If it's not the blood, if it's not the blood test, then I don't know. How else can you detect changelings other than tricorders, the new detection system, or bloodletting? John says there's another way. There is another way. And I think this way would have been quite helpful on these past couple of episodes. Y'all know it. It's going to pop into your mind when I say it. You're going to like, really? All right, we'll save that one for next week as we wrap this thing up. Once again, thanks to each and every one of you for joining. Tasha, do you want to tell people where they can find you online? Absolutely. Um, I am on YouTube, After the Snap Movies and TV. You can find me on Facebook, After the Snap Movies and TV, and on Twitter, at Snap After. Larry, is there anything you want to plug before we wrap this thing up, man? No, not really. Like I said, um, I'm really happy with Tasha. and Her videos have just been awesome. But um, I'm just looking forward to next week. Me too. I did have one thing to ask. Did it take you a little bit out of it that we haven't seen the Shrike or Vatic at all? It didn't bother me one bit. It didn't me either. But, but I was just asking because I was really starting to get into wondering what you know. And then Terry Metallus stopped tweeting Terry. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I loved how this was sort of, we're licking our wounds. We're going to stand still for just a little bit, kind of regroup. And I, I assume Vatic is doing the same. So we'll see. <laughs> if nothing else, I guess we'll wrap this thing up. Teaching every one of you listening or watching. Until next time, live long and prosper. Thanks for listening to the Discussing Trek podcast. For more information, go to discussingtrek.com slash subscribe. been listening to the discussing network find out more at discussingnetwork.com can i say that like shut up wesley i can just go shut up clarence